We're going to be in Mark chapter 16. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Church, we are going to celebrate Easter this morning. So happy Easter, three weeks early. And then on Easter weekend, I, I was thinking that, you know, a lot of people come out Christmas and Easter and we're so thankful to have them, but they tend to come to those two services a year. So I think they've got the story of the resurrection down. So we're going to study the creation story on Easter weekend. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. So just prepare yourself for that. It's going to be a little bit different this year. We're going to do Easter this morning and then creation on resurrection morning. Just joking. I'm just teasing. What we're going to do is I'm going to slow down and for three weeks I'm going to be in Mark 16. So we're going to be in Mark 16 for the next three weekends, this Sunday, the next two Sundays. And we're going to look at the Great Commission. This morning we're going to look at the Great Commission. And then two more weeks we're going to look at the, the Great Commission. Because this is very important. Christ, as he's risen, tells us to go and tell. I want you to go and tell the good news, but many times we struggle with sharing our faith. I know that I struggle with sharing my faith one-on-one. I have a lot of opportunities to share the gospel in, in this setting with people that don't know Christ as their Savior, and there's some comfort in it's a one-way conversation, you know? I can be real bold when I've got the mic, but then when you're sitting down with somebody and it's one-on-one, it, it can be really challenging. I think most of us, we want to have a life that impacts others for eternity, but many times we don't know how. So the next two weekends, the next two Sundays after this Sunday, we're going to look at how do I uh, share my faith? How would God equip me to be able to, to share my faith? So this is my prayer in the next few weeks, is that God would really wake us up to the reality of lost souls and his desire to use each and every one of us to share the gospel with those that don't know Christ as our Savior. So let's pray and we'll get into our text this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you're risen. We thank you that you're alive in our lives every day and that we can celebrate your resurrection each day of our lives. As we read of your resurrection this morning, we pray that it would impact us afresh and that you would give us a heart to reach out to those that don't know their Savior. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We pray that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, there's three things we're going to focus on this morning. It's discover the empty tomb, discover the empty tomb, encounter the risen Savior, and share the good news. So, discover the empty tomb, encounter the risen Savior, and share the good news. Join me in verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. That The Sabbath was ended. The Sabbath was concluded. They could do no work on the Sabbath. So now it's the first day of the week for the nation of Israel, even to this day. The first day of the week is, is Sunday. It's Sunday morning. Before the sun has come up, very early in the morning, They're coming to the tomb of Jesus Christ because there was no time in his burial to anoint his body. They weren't able to do it properly, so now they want to come back and anoint the body of Jesus Christ. In Mary Magdalene, we see an example of tremendous love for Christ. We know that she was possessed with seven demons. Christ delivered her from those demons. She followed Christ. She was at the burial of Christ. And now she's the first one back at the resurrection of Christ. 
tremendous, tremendous love that she has for Christ. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Early in the morning, they come to the tomb. We're going to find that Mary Magdalene is the first person that Christ reveals himself to after his resurrection. Maybe you've found this, that no matter what time of the day it is, there's a blessing when you come to draw near to Christ, when you come to minister to Christ. But there is something special about the morning, isn't there? There's something special about giving the first fruits of your day to the Lord. The first person that I want to meet with is the Lord. But it's also difficult to get out of bed, isn't it? Oh man, the alarm clock went off, or maybe you wake up before the alarm clock. A day like today when there's some extra clouds and a little bit of rain, I just want some extra sleep. I think I really need some sleep this morning. But the Spirit of God inside of us is saying, come on, get up. I'm ready to meet with you. Jesus is ready to, to meet with you. The Word's alive and well. I've never regretted getting up and spending time with the Lord. There's a special blessing that comes with rising early to meet with the Lord. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Another example of their love for Christ is there's this obvious obstacle, the stone that has been rolled over the tomb of Christ, and they didn't consider this in going to the tomb. Many of us would say, well, there's no point in buying the spices to anoint the body of Christ because we can't roll away the tomb. Or we might say, oh yeah, there's this evident difficulty, so I need to bring four or five people with me so I can roll away the the stone. But love doesn't know an obstacle, does it? Love doesn't get stopped by a difficulty. When we're really in love with someone and pursuing someone, we're not going to let distance or time affect us. I remember when Amber and I... were dating and she was in Glenwood Springs at Colorado Mountain College going to school. I was a youth pastor here at, at RMC and we would call each other on the phone on a crazy thing called a landline because it costed too much money to use our cell phones. We had just both gotten cell phones, very few minutes on, on the cell phone. The charges were crazy if you went over your minutes. So I had a landline in my, my apartment. If you guys don't know what those are, I'd, I'd feel free to talk to me afterwards. I can explain it more. But then also I would have a calling card, this, this plastic AT&T calling card, because at my apartment I didn't have a long distance plan. And so you would put a bunch of minutes on, on this card and we'd be talking late into the night and all of a sudden you'd hear the voice come through the card and say, you know, you have two minutes left. I'd say, let's keep talking. When it goes out, I'll charge it back up and I'll, I'll call you back, Right? So if you're dating and you've got just unlimited minutes on your phone and you can talk through the internet and you can text, you don't know how lucky you are, how, how fortunate you are to be able to communicate in that way. But love says there's no obstacle. And hopefully there's that attitude in our relationship with the Lord where we say, Christ, I love you. You're my, my savior. And so I'm not going to let a stone keep me from pursuing you. I'm not going to let an obstacle keep me from drawing near to you. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. You can imagine the shock, the concern, and the confusion that would come over them. If you went to visit the grave of a loved one, and the grave had been altered, had been dug up, and the casket had been opened, you'd say, well, this is strange. What in the world is, is going on? 
they discover the empty tomb. And that brings us to our first point this morning is discover the empty tomb. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we need to spend some time understanding how magnificent it is and how important it is that Christ has risen from the dead and his tomb is empty. Christ predicted his death and his resurrection. I'll be killed and then three days later, I will rise again. He also claimed to be God. So the fact that he fulfilled this claim of the resurrection proves the fact that he is God. If he didn't follow through with this, he would be a liar, wouldn't he? You know, lunatics predict stuff like this. I'm going to be killed and then three days later I'm going to rise from again. Yeah, yeah, right. You're another one of those, those crazies. So he'd be a liar, he'd be a lunatic. But if he fulfills this, he's Lord. This is what separates Christ from everybody else is he predicted his death and he predicted his resurrection. Can we count on the fact that this actually happened? Does it hold up? Is there historical evidence to point to the empty tomb? A lawyer, he's a famous defense attorney. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records for an unprecedented 245 consecutive defense murder trial acquittals. He's now passed away. But this was his quote about the resurrection. He says, I've spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer appearing in many parts of the world and am still in active practice. I've been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. In looking at the evidence, he comes to the conclusion that there's no doubt that Christ is risen from the dead. Maybe you have some questions about the resurrection, and you're wondering Is there historical facts for it? I would encourage you to look into it, to do the research. I think a lot of people dismiss the resurrection without doing the research. Once you've looked at the facts and you want to reject it, that's another thing. But at least take the time to look into it. What are some of the evidences of the resurrection? Early Christian apologists cited hundreds of eyewitnesses some of who document their own experiences. So we have hundreds of eyewitnesses of encountering the resurrected Savior, of which we're reading this morning. We're reading an account, Mary Magdalene's account, of encountering Jesus Christ in his risen state. Also, some of the major skeptics put their faith in a risen Savior, one being the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. He was convinced that Jesus wasn't God, that he didn't rise from the dead, until the risen Savior encountered his life, and he went from being a skeptic to a follower of Christ. James, who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, was the half-brother of Christ, not believing in Christ until the resurrection, and then he went from skeptic to believer. Another important part of the resurrection is the truth of the resurrection took root in Jerusalem, where Christ was very publicly crucified. Everybody in Jerusalem at that time was aware of the fact that Christ was crucified. If they had the body of Christ, the chief priests, the scribes, those that worked so hard to kill him, they would have produced it to try to silence this rumor of the the resurrection, but they couldn't produce the, the body of Jesus Christ, the dead body of Christ, because he was alive. 
There's the historical evidence, and then there's the personal experience. And the historical evidence is there, but then also, if you're a believer, you know Christ is risen because he's present in your life. You know Christ is risen because you trust him for salvation. So we discover the empty tomb. In verse 5, And entering the tomb, they saw a young man, an angel, clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. That's an understatement. Some things are so hard to describe in words. You finally get the courage to go into the tomb. After you're seeing that it's been altered with, you wouldn't expect to see a young man clothed in a white robe. Not everybody wore a white robe. Like, Whoa, I didn't, I didn't expect to, to see you there. Have you ever been alarmed by your kids or alarmed by a friend or a family member? Sometimes one of our kids will, will come in while I'm sleeping, especially when they're younger, and they're standing right next to you. Just, and then you wake up with a kid in your face. Whoa, what, what in the world? I didn't expect you to, to be there, right? This is, this is that type of experience. <sighs> you know, and, and they're alarmed and they're scared. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here See the place where they laid him. Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. I know you're seeking Jesus, but he's risen. He's risen from the dead. Inspect the place where they laid him. In verse 7, But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. But go and tell the disciples and Peter. Why the emphasis on Peter? Because Peter has just denied the Lord. Three times that he didn't know the Lord. What does the resurrection of Christ mean to Peter? If Christ is risen, he's forgiven. If Christ is risen, he can be restored. It's on the heart of God. The angel is the messenger of God saying, you need to tell the disciples and you need to tell Peter. If you've gone through a season of struggle, of difficulty, of compromise, walking away from the Lord... You're thinking, could God forgive me? Could he restore me? Absolutely. Yes, yes, he can. Look at, look at Peter. It's the heart of God. He inserts our name. Go, go tell the disciples and go tell Peter. The resurrection meant so much to Peter in his letter, in his first epistle. He said that we've been begotten to a living hope. Speaking of the resurrection of Christ, he encountered the risen Savior and he says, my hope is alive. My, my hope is living. One of the things that we find in these encounters with the disciples and the resurrection is the instruction to go and tell. So with the good news of the resurrection, you might want to write this down, is the commission to go and tell. They were either so excited about it inside of their own soul that they just naturally went and told others, or they're instructed by the angel or instructed by Jesus, you need to go and tell this person that Christ is risen. What if the disciples and Mary, they just hold on to this information, they don't tell anyone? The gospel never goes out. The impact never takes place. What if the disciples never hear that Christ is risen? And for us as well, that's God's heart. That's God's heart for us, as he wants us to have that heart to say, you know what, I'm so thankful that my hope is alive. However, there's so many people around me that have no hope. They don't know Christ. They don't know that Jesus loves them. 
that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. I want to go and tell. I want to go and share. In verse 8, so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Some major processing here. What does this mean? The angels said that Christ is risen. There's a focus now on Mary Magdalene. Now when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Come to our second point, encounter the risen Savior. Mary Magdalene encounters the risen Savior. First they've heard from the angel, but Mary's the first one to see Christ in his resurrected state. He instructs her, now go tell the disciples. When she tells the disciples they're mourning, they don't believe her. We try to put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, and even though Jesus had told them he was going to rise from the dead, they didn't comprehend it. They didn't grasp it. They didn't hold on to that. What if you had a family member or a close friend pass away, and then someone comes and tells you, hey, they rose from the dead. They're hanging out at Village Inn. Go see them. Like, they're not hanging out at Village Inn. Don't mess with me like that. That's not even fair. So the disciples, they quickly dismiss this about Mary Magdalene. Please turn with me in your Bible to John 20. Let's look at John's account of Jesus encountering Mary Magdalene. We get a little bit more detail from John. John 20, verse 11. But Mary stood out by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Mary stays by herself while the others leave. She's weeping. She's confused. And she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So first they only saw one angel, but now they see two. She gets more detail as she waits. Sometimes in our relationship with God, we just need to wait. Don't be in such a hurry. It's not just a 15-minute exchange. God, I've carved out some time. My heart is broken here. I'm going to wait upon you. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. So even though the angel has said he's risen, it hasn't sunk in, she thinks someone has stolen the body of her Lord. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take, and I will take him back. I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. This is when Mary recognized Christ, when Jesus called her by name. I recognize that voice. This is my Savior. And we find in the resurrection of Christ, as we look at these accounts in the Gospels, that Jesus is tremendously personal. He's personal with Mary. He's personal with Thomas. He says, Thomas, I know you're doubting this. Why don't you go ahead and touch my hands? He's personal with Peter. He makes Peter breakfast. He's personal with 
the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And this is what I'm so thankful about our Savior. He died for our sins, he rose again, and he's personal in our lives. For me, this is what really led me to Christ. It made a profession of faith as a young child, but then in my freshman year of high school, feeling my own emptiness and calling out to the Lord, felt God speak to me. Not audibly, not out loud, but the thought that came over me was, Eric, while you wanted nothing to do with me, I wanted everything to do with you. And that made the difference in my life, that Jesus was real, that Jesus was personal, that it wasn't just an academic study. And in your life this morning, have you encountered the risen Savior? Maybe you've come to church, maybe you really haven't come to church much. But the real question is, is Christ real in my life? You know, there were years of my childhood where, you know, Jesus felt a lot further away than Mars. Mars was just as close to Jesus to me, even though I was, I was hearing a lot about him. And it wasn't until I encountered him. And maybe you're saying, well, how do I encounter Christ? Mary's a good example. Draw near to Christ. Make some time for him. Worship him. Draw near to him. Spend time in the word. Cry out to him. There's a promise that God gives to us. It says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He's not saying, well, you have to try to figure me out. And if you pull on the right strings, then I'll respond. He's ready to respond. He's already made that commitment. Saying, if you draw near to me, if you cry out to me, if you want to have a relationship with me, I want to have a relationship with you. And for us as believers, sometimes we can go a lot of days in our lives without encountering our risen Savior. He's as much with us today as the day that we got saved. Amen? He's as much with me today as I was walking home from the gym my freshman year of high school and called, called out to the Lord. And this is astounding about Christ is his promise is that he's always with us, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. In fact, he's promised when two or three believers gather in his name that he's in our midst. Christ is here this morning. He's walking the aisles. He's sitting next to you. He's in your heart. As we're driving down the road, he's with us. And sometimes we're aware of his presence. Sometimes that car, instead of being a prison, becomes a fellowship with our Savior, doesn't it? Sometimes when we're laying down in our bed, we're like, oh, Jesus, you're with me. I want to encounter you. I want to walk with you. Encounter your Savior. And as we encounter our Savior, then we're going to be moved to the same place that Mary is. Look with me in John 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. We encounter Christ, we can't help but go and share. Mary goes and shares. Jesus told her, go tell. And she does. She's just experienced this incredible, great news. We tend to talk about things that we're excited about, don't we? We have a mission team right now over in Gulu, Uganda. Dan Johnson, our missions pastor, is leading them. and They're encouraging Kent and Becca, who are our missionaries there. Some of you maybe remember Pastor Kent. He's going to be here in the summer to, to share with us, to, to share the word with us. But Kent, he loves food. He especially loves Smashburger across the street. That guy 
can describe Smashburger for 10 or 15 minutes, easy, and why you should go get a burger. So whenever I'm at Smashburger, I take a picture of my burger and text it to him, right? In love, of course. But why does he talk about Smashburger? Because he loves it, right? Things that we love, we, we talk about. Things that have impacted us as we encounter Christ. And sometimes when it comes to the Great Commission, we get the cart before the horse. We feel this obligation where we've got to talk about Jesus and tell people about Jesus. And that's not what we find here with the early disciples. Christ was real in their life. And since Christ was real in their life, there was this overflow to talk about Christ and to talk about the good news. Let's go back to the Gospel of Mark in verse 12. Mark 16, verse 12. And after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. This is the road to Emmaus, a more detailed account in Luke 24. They walked with Christ to Emmaus, to this town. As Jesus walked with them, they didn't realize they were talking to Jesus. He went through the Old Testament, pointing out all of these places where it pointed to Christ, pointed to the Messiah. That's a study I wish we had. You know, that's a study I'm going to look forward to hearing when we get in heaven. They finally get to Emmaus and they have a meal and Jesus broke bread. And at that moment, they recognize that Jesus is the Christ and then Jesus disappears. In his glorified body, he has the ability to appear and disappear. So he's like, boom, I'm out. They get so overwhelmed that they've just encountered the risen Savior that they rush to go tell the other disciples, but the other disciples still do not believe it. So, so far, we have Mary Magdalene. She encounters Christ. She goes and tells. We have the guys on the road to Mary's. They encounter Christ. They go and tell and share with the disciples. In verse 14, later he appeared to 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they didn't believe those who had seen him after he had risen. I really appreciate and encouraged by the honesty that's in the Bible. A lot of times we think people in the Bible, because they're in the Bible, they must have been perfect and not had any struggles. They must have followed God perfectly. But then when you read the, the Bible and really let it speak for what it is, you realize how messed up people in the Bible really are. I mean, think about the very first family, Adam and Eve. How do they start off in their marriage? In rebellion to God. Experience the consequences of sin. Have two boys. Oh, so exciting. Two boys. Then one kills the other. You're like, really? This is the start of the first family? I don't think Adam and Eve were getting any interviews on Focus on the Family. You know what I'm saying? It's like nobody was calling saying, hey, can you give us some parenting advice? Once that's happened in your family, they're like, nope, nope, no parenting advice from you guys, Right? That's the very first family. Very quickly, we start to realize every family's dysfunctional. Take a deep breath. Every family's dysfunctional. Every family needs the gospel. All of us are sinners. All of us are desperate for Christ to die for our sins and rise again. We go, oh, that's the Old Testament. Then we get the New Testament. Here's the disciples who've been following Christ every day with Christ for three years, but yet they struggle. They don't believe. 
And Christ appears to them and he addresses them on their unbelief. God in his love for us will address our unbelief. Like the disciples, we struggle with unbelief from time to time and Jesus will come and he'll speak to us and he'll encourage us because he knows how damaging unbelief is. As we look at the character of Christ, specifically his death upon the cross and his resurrection, is he trustworthy? Maybe the risen Savior this morning as a believer, that's what he's addressing us on. Saying, Eric, trust me. Maybe there's a difficulty in your life. If we can trust Christ for salvation, let's also trust him for the situations that we go through. God, you can save me from my sins. You have saved me from my sins. So I'm going to trust you in this difficulty. It's a journey and it's a, it's a difficulty, just like the disciples went through. In verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We come to number three, share the good news. Jesus says to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This word go, in the original language, it means as you go, preach the gospel. It's a lifestyle. This is God's intent for the disciples. Here they've walked with Christ for three years. They've watched Christ love people, share the truth, love people, share the truth, love people, share the truth. Christ dies for the disciples' sins, rise again, and he says, I'm going to send to the Father. Now it's your turn. You're my hands and feet here on this earth. I want you to take my message out. I want you to take my, my love out. Everywhere that you go, share, share the love of Christ. And a lot of times, this is not how I live my life. I go to get to one place to the next, to get things done. We're incredibly busy in our culture, in our society, isn't it? Our phones rule our lives. We've got our eye calendars, our schedules. In the midst of going somewhere, we're getting a text, getting an email, getting a phone call, trying to get all of this stuff done. It is very easy for me to go in and out of the grocery store and not be aware of anybody else that's around me. You know, someone can be really hurting and right, right in front of me, and I may not even see them because I'm so caught up in trying to get things done. But then at the end of the day, what did I really accomplish? Not the Great Commission. You know, I, I wasn't, as I was going, looking for opportunities to share the gospel with people, to share God's love with them. But also in this word go, I think there's something intentional here. There, there's something intentional in our lives where we say, God, I want to take the gospel to people that don't know you. The best place to do this is people that are in our lives, people that in your neighborhood, people in your apartment complex, people that you work with, family members, people that you encounter at the grocery store. Have you noticed, I'm sure that you have, that we don't live in a Christian country? I know that this might be a shock to, to some of you, but I don't think anybody would really argue with me, a believer or unbeliever from that perspective. You know, unbelievers are like, yeah, we're not living in a Christian culture. Believers, we've come to understand, we're not living in a Christian culture. You know what that means for us as believers? We don't have to leave Colorado Springs to have missionary type of impact. And that's a change. There are people in our lives that have never heard the gospel, 
never heard the gospel right here in Colorado Springs. I'm sure there's people in our lives that have never cracked the Bible. They've never opened up the Bible. The thought of reading the Bible is completely foreign to them. Why would they, why would they ever pick up the Bible? So we have a tremendous opportunity. In this command is our local community, but it's also the nations. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's talking to 11 guys. Really? You guys? Go out into all the world and preach the gospel? So as we care about our community, we also care about the nations. That's why we have a team from our church over in Uganda. And a believer maybe never leaves the United States, but you still have an opportunity to love the nations. Maybe God's put one country on your heart. Like, I don't know why I think so much about Indonesia or why I think so much about Australia or Afghanistan. Start praying for lost people there. God hears those prayers and he uses prayers. Find a missionary from that country that you're going to pray for, that you're going to reach out to. Go to the missions table in the foyer and grab some cards of missionaries that the the church supports and begin to to pray for them. From very little sacrifice from our lives, we can get involved in God's heart for the nations. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach it. Share it. So what is the gospel? We've got to be really clear on this, okay? What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, tell us, the gospel. I'm going to focus on verse 3 and 4. It says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So what's the gospel? Jesus died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He died, buried, and rose again for sin. I hope that this is something that we could all share, that we could all understand. What is sin? Sin means to miss the mark. So if I'm shooting at a target, if I miss that target by just a little bit, that margin of error is sin. So sin is willful rebellion to God, but it's also doing your best and coming up short. You ever tried not to lie, but you lie anyway? You ever tried not to be angry, but you get angry anyway? Try not to have a lustful thought, but you have a lustful thought anyway. Well, that's sin. And so as we're sharing with people, it's like we go, you know what? We're all sinners and we've fallen short of God's standard of perfection and the wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus came and he paid the price upon the cross for your sin. He died. He rose again that all who repent and believe are saved, that come to that knowledge of of Jesus Christ. That's what we share with people. We don't share our good ideas. We don't share our opinions on politics. If I'm in the life of someone who's an unbeliever, my first concern with them is not politics. Politics are not going to last for all of eternity. Praise the Lord, right? That's not my chief concern with them. They don't know Christ. They have no understanding of, of what the gospel is. So I'm looking for opportunities to share the gospel. That's the message. We don't want to lose the message of the gospel. Let's look at verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Some have taken this verse to build a doctrine that you have to be baptized to be saved. That would be adding a work to the gospel. We're saved by grace. Is baptism important? Absolutely. But we're baptized because we're saved. It flows out of salvation, not to try to earn or deserve 
salvation. The thief at the cross that we studied last week, he did not have the opportunity to be baptized and he was still saved. Jesus did not say, sorry, buddy, there's no way you can be baptized right now. So you're out of luck. But should you be baptized if you're a believer? Absolutely. If you have a heart to be baptized, next time we have a baptism, you'll see it in the bulletin. Sign up and be baptized. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. The purpose of signs is to point people to Christ. Signs will follow those who believe. Supernatural things will follow the believer. The person that says, I want to reach out with the gospel is going to see God do great work to get the attention of an unbeliever. Unfortunately, there's people that seek after signs. They want the experience instead of seeing God glorified in the life of an unbeliever. So Jesus is saying, these signs will follow the believer. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. Speaking in tongues that we see in the book of Acts. Verse 18, and they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Then they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There's been some crazy things that have happened because of this verse in so-called churches, usually in Louisiana or Arkansas. It's like, well, today, you're so lucky that you came to church. Today is rattlesnake day. And if you're a real follower of Christ, just come let this rattlesnake bite you. And based on Mark 16, 18, you're not going to be hurt. That's just stupidity. Run for your life, you know. Anytime you see snakes at a church service, that's not the, that's not the church for me, you know. That's testing the Lord. This is saying that God's hand is going to be on those that go out and take the gospel. So what have we seen this morning in these 18 verses? First is discover the empty tomb. Discover the empty tomb. Are you convinced that the tomb is empty? And if the answer is no, that's okay. But are you going to do the research? Are you going to look at the facts? Don't just dismiss it. I want to give you a couple of resources. And the first, it's very easy. It, it, this is accessible to you. It's gotquestions.org. Gotquestions.org. Great for any biblical question, but especially on the resurrection. Go to that website, gotquestions.org. Type in, is the tomb empty? Is the resurrection real? And you're going to be presented with a lot of facts that you can wrestle through and you can evaluate. Is it historically accurate that the tomb is empty? You can pick up a small book. It'll cost you a few dollars. A few dollars that could change your life. It's called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Write it down. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Go on to Amazon. Spend five bucks. You know? We, we spend five bucks all the time. You can, you're going to spend five bucks by, by blinking. It gets you about one gallon of gas right now. Right? Spend five bucks on your eternity. Read that book and see if you can come to a conclusion. Discover the empty tomb. And then encounter the risen Savior. Maybe up until this point, you haven't encountered the risen Savior. Jesus this morning is alive. He's knocking upon the door of your heart. He wants you to come to a place of accepting him, of choosing him. As we end this service, there's going to be a prayer team available in the front. And if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I believe God's been doing a work in your life prior to you coming to this service. Respond. We've talked about the gospel. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He took your place upon the cross. 
Walk up here to the front. Let somebody on the ministry team know, I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior. We're not going to do anything weird. We don't have any snakes hidden up here, okay? We're not going to sign you up to become a member of the church. We don't even have membership here at Rocky Mountain Calvary. We're going to give you Jesus. We're going to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ as your Savior, give you a new believer's packet to help you understand the decision that you've made, to hand a Bible to you. Believers, those of us that know Christ as our Savior, let's encounter the risen Savior. How real was Christ's presence to the disciples after he ascended? They're probably going like, I know he's here, and at any moment he could appear. Because he did that to them. They're hanging out in a room, and boom, he was in the middle of the room. Christ is with us. God, make us aware of your, your presence encounter the risen tomb, and then finally, share the good news. Share the good news. I believe that these messages are just as much for me as anybody else. It's easy for me to not make the time to invest in the lives of people that don't know Christ as our Savior. Last week on Thursday, it was about 10 days ago, a week and a half ago, we had a staff development day where we get the staff together, pray, get in the word, get equipped for the ministries that God's called us to. And part of the day, we just went out to the neighbors here of, of RMC, the businesses. There's a lot of businesses that are right here at, at RMC. Got a $5 gift card to Starbucks and put a little note on there. I just wanted to start having a conversation with them. I imagine if you work at the gas station right in front of the church, that that's a fairly difficult job. Maybe you've noticed, but at times this neighborhood's not the best right here at Austin Bluffs and Academy. We're thankful to be here. It's a good ministry opportunity, but it's probably not in your best interest to hang out in our parking lot at two in the morning, right? So you're over here at the gas station and you're working and you said, man, I'm sure that this is probably a difficult job at times. And we wanted you to know that the Lord loves you and we're praying for you. I just went around to these businesses and had those kind of conversations. And me personally, just my own perspective, my own worldview, I was shocked how open people were to share their story, share their life experience. You know, I had, I had guys telling me that, you know, their whole work history for 20 years, you know, and they're just ready, ready to talk and ready to hear about Jesus Christ. And most of the time, I, this is what I really think. I think people don't want to hear it. I really think that. So I go around through my days going, oh, I don't want to tell anybody about Jesus because they don't want to hear it. They've already decided that they don't want Christ in their life. I don't think that's true. I think a lot of people are really ready to hear about Jesus Christ. So please take a journey with me over the next two weekends because we're going to get practical of how to do this. We've gotten the commission this weekend, but then how do we do it? So next week, we're going to talk about sharing our testimony. Each of you that are a believer, you have a testimony. It's God's story in your life. We're going to look at some testimonies in Scripture, and then I'm going to encourage you to prepare your testimony in a few minutes that you could share with somebody how you came to know Christ as your Savior. Then we're going to look at John 4 in two weekends where Jesus had a conversation with a very lost woman, a woman at the well. And he gives us a great model of how to love people and how, how to share the gospel. But this is the hope and the prayer, is that through this month that we would share the gospel with someone that doesn't know Christ as our Savior. Not out of obligation, not of like, okay, 
I have to do this, but because we're encountering the risen Savior and we can't help but share it. There's this promise in the Old Testament about bringing the good news. It says, those who bring the good news have beautiful feet. Like, what in the world? What does that mean to have beautiful feet? It means happy feet. You go through your days with happy feet. You've probably experienced this in your life. If you've shared Christ with people, it does something to your soul. You're like, man, Jesus is good. The gospel is powerful. This is the best gift that could ever be. As we share the gospel, it blesses us. It encourages us. No matter how they respond, we go, wow, that was neat. God was really in that. Sound good? All right, let's stand and let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. And because you're alive, because the tomb is empty, we have forgiveness of sin. There's power over death. You're here with us right now. Promised us eternal life. God, we're not adequate for these things. This doesn't come out of our own strength or our own resources, but out of a relationship with you and out of abiding with you. Would you give us opportunities, even this week, to share the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen. If you-